you are listening to Security Lab Podcast Season Three. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Security Lab. I'm Doc here. And today I'm going to be flying solo again. So in this episode, we are going to venture to Singapore, and we're going to talk about a system that every Singaporean uses, which is called SingPass. Now, SingPass is this system where they give each and every one of their citizens, PR holders, an ID and a password, and that allows the user to make transactions uh, with. Uh, the authorities or third-party organizations. So, for example, if you go, if you're in India, you want to do certain transactions. You either bring your ration card or you now you bring your Aadhaar card, and you know that shows proof you are who you are. In Malaysia, you have the national ID called My Card. So, for you to do your KYC or know your customer, or for you to be able to prove your identity. The card is used, and it contains biometric information about you, so they can actually validate you are whom you say you really are. So, in this case, in Singapore, they use a system called SingPass, and SingPass can be used to transact with the government agencies. You can even go in and open your bank account, or you can use the ID to unlock your pension fund, your CPF, right? So, which means that this ID is now super duper. Ultra uber critical for any Singaporean there is. So I've been researching on this matter a bit, and and I found two interesting things. The first one is that the issue of uh, the SingPass users still defaulting to their national IC ID number as their user ID. Now, of course, that's kind of a big problem because if you know somebody's ID, you pretty much can guess. What their username is, because for a lot of people that's still the same thing, all right. So it is recommended that you register your own ID instead of using your national ID as the default ID. So that way makes it difficult for someone to be able to crack your login if they're trying uh, to see uh, whether they can get access to your account. So it makes it a bit more difficult. Now. The second one, which is actually the meat of today's episode, is about how they've changed uh, their terms and conditions on the usage of SingPass. Where previously the data that was collected was only maintained by SingPass. Now what they've done is they've increased the scope, whereby they are saying that the data that's collected by SingPass. Can now be used for early detection, fraud analytics, because they want to be able to investigate and potentially prevent criminal activities or cyber incidences. Now, this was quoted from Smart Nation and Digital Government Office Singapore. Now, this is this method is really not new. It's not something that is supposedly privacy invasive because the minute you are using any system. The usage data resides in that system. The question is whether they actually use it to do something, or they don't use it at all. So, in this case, 
the data is actually used uh, to identify and prevent criminal activities. So, Doc, if that's the case, then how can they actually find out if there's a criminal activity? I don't get it. It's just an ID login password, right? You're absolutely right. So let me shift the gear into banking, for example. So most of you would have your debit card or credit card that has Visa, MasterCard or whichever uh, payment engine that your card uses, right? So banks have similar kind of capabilities where they are able to see if a transaction is something that you should be doing or you've allowed to do or it's something that should be stopped. So for example, I like to quote myself, I'm the worst nightmare for any bank that has me as a customer. And the reason being is because I extensively use and make payments on the internet. And I've said this in a few episodes before, you know, I have Netflix, Amazon, third-party hosting providers, and I subscribe to a whole load of service, right? So it's a nightmare trying to predict what I do online, and it's even bigger nightmare to identify if a site uh, that is charging my card is supposed to be charging my card or not. So funny thing is the bank that I use, and I, and I shall not name them, they've been doing a really good job. So their policy is very simple. By default, deny. So every time I try a new site, I cross my fingers and hope it works because 80% of the time it doesn't work. The reason being why it doesn't work is because they don't allow me to use a new site. So I usually call in and, you know, because I'm I'm quite a slightly higher tier credit card user, I, I get through the call center, thank God. I, I speak to a very nice gentleman or lady and I tell them, look, I'm me, I've uh, authenticated myself, I've given you all my details. Now, uh, I want to use this site, it's being blocked. Uh, can you allow me to use it? So literally, I'm, I'm going to the bank and begging them, hello, please allow me to use my card. Thank you very much. And what the bank will do then say, okay, uh, you've authenticated. Uh, can you tell me how much you want to use it for? So I tell them this is X amount that I need to pay for this purpose. And they're happy. And I'm happy. They said, okay, sir, I will give you about an hour. So I said, it's okay. No need one hour. I give you two hours. By two hours, you unblock. I finish my transaction. Done. Well and good. Right? So now, in that instance, the bank takes the approach of verify and then allow but when you're doing these kind of transaction and especially in a in a most likely heavily transacted uh, environment like the government agencies you're, you're going to get a lot of these requests coming in and you really need to have some sort of intelligence that's why banks for example use fraud management system so right now i'm in southeast asia if i'm anywhere within southeast asia i was in a few countries before. I was in Philippines, I was in Thailand, I was in Singapore, I was in Malaysia, been traveling around the region. And if you look at it, uh, my pattern of usage is common around these countries. So if I do use it there, that's fine. And, and I make it a point that I usually do uh, pin on glass. Pin on glass basically means that I insert the card and I put in my pin. Uh, so that I know that you know it's only used during that time, and then I plug it out. Very seldom I use Wave. I use Wave much in my home country, but not so much overseas. I, I know it's a convenience, but it's okay. Never mind. I'll just put in my pin just to be sure. 
So I've established certain practices that is unique to me, which the bank is able to identify and, and recognize. And the bank also knows what I'm recurring payments, whom I pay regularly and, and what payment and what is the quantum of the payment and how much it works. Right, So they, they have a baseline of what I do. Now imagine the same kind of functionality now available on your SingPass. So if suddenly you're a 65-year-old pensioner and you, know, you, you have all this nice accumulated wealth in your CPF and you know, suddenly someone goes in, changes the account number and start issuing a withdrawal, now that could potentially raise the alarm level or the risk level and say, you know what, let's hold this transaction for a while and let's do a, you can say a step up authentication or you can even call the person and say, hello, Mr. Go, uh, we noticed that you have changed your account uh, on your CPF. Uh, can we confirm that it's you? Uh, before that, can you read out your IC number, please? You know? So you can have those additional authentication right before you actually have that action being done. And that's only possible when you have all this data collected and analyzed. So when you have historical data, you can identify the pattern and the usage of the person. So I go back to banks because banks have established this long time ago. Uh, so for example, if I use a brand Q for petrol and and, you know, most humans are creatures of habit. So if they are used to brand Q for petrol, they always go and look for a brand Q petrol station and they pour petrol or pour fuel, depending on which part of the world you are, uh, to your car. Right Now, if I suddenly change to brand K, well, that might signal that something is wrong if I just tap my card instead of actually inserting my card and putting the pin because then it shows that look i have the card i have the pin less likely not to say no because if my wallet gets hijacked then obviously someone has my card and it would be dumb enough for me to write the pin number behind the card which unfortunately is what i've seen for a number of people which you shouldn't be doing and if you've done that please remove that pin number and keep it somewhere safe right another psa from security law okay Back to our episode. So, as you can see, SingPass is very important. And, and the idea is that in the recent uh, years, uh, we've in security lab, we've also spoken about the OCBC phishing attack. And that has affected quite a number of people. And people have lost money. People have lost money from their bank account. People have lost money from their CPF, the Central Provident Fund. Uh, or even change the location of the bank account so that if someone does a withdrawal on their CPF, it goes to a new account, right? Um, so uh, one of the things that I note in the app's change log, it says here, clause 4.5 was amended to clarify the data may also be used, disclose or process for the purpose of preventing any cybercrime incident it was also amended to clarify that the use, disclosure and processing may occur even if the disclosure may be potentially incriminating. Enjoying the show so far? Subscribe now so that you don't miss out on the latest episode. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and many other platforms. Visit podcast.securitylah.asia to get the links to subscribe. 
So which means that if you're trying to do something funny with the app, good luck, you will or may get busted. Right. So that's essentially what they're saying. Right. That's as I mentioned earlier, you know, we've seen a number of attacks happening in Singapore uh, carried out by locals as well as foreign threat actors. Uh, we've seen IHS, we've seen OP OCBC, just to name a few. And these things have, I guess, you know, stirred the, the thinking caps of the good folks in Singapore government and started to look at how they could better protect uh, its citizens, right? Um, and one of the spokesperson also said that if necessary, the SingPass team will help to suspend the SingPass account to protect the user and notify the user, which is a great thing. Because if the minute they suspect, oh, uh, I suspect that this transaction, something is wrong and I, I shouldn't be allowing it, the team is taking a proactive step to go ahead and lock down the account. Great job, right? Oh, and the other thing is that they added that the update to SingPass is not linked to TraceTogether. And the app doesn't collect stuff like location, IP address, or determine whether the user is overseas. So, which is a good thing because, you know what, for example, I don't want to have to do anything via SingPass when I'm overseas. But, you see, there's a bit of problem there. If you're using a cyber cafe or a free Wi-Fi at the Starbucks, downtown Milan, Rome, fine. I'll get the IP address and I'll say, ah, hmm, okay, uh, this is from Rome, but you're Singaporean. Uh, okay, I have this uh, requirement that says that I will not allow you to make any changes. Okay, deny the user, right? Um, but the problem is when you use uh, 3G, 4G, 5G, uh, you essentially use a protocol called GTP, GPR standarding protocol, and your IP address is tunneled back to your home provider, right? Uh, you go through the VLR, visitor location register, and then you come down to your home network. So essentially, it looks as if you're browsing from Singapore and not from Milan, Rome, right? Now, so why is this trace together uh, an issue? Not to say an issue, there was a stir. Uh, it's because... During 2021, there was there was some data collection with TraceTogether and it was revealed that they actually used the data collected in criminal investigations even though the assurance was that the data was only for COVID-19 contact tracing. So TraceTogether, so for those of you who are out of Singapore, TraceTogether was the contract tracing contact tracing app uh, that was used during COVID-19. Now, uh, as of February, I've been reliably notified that the app has been stepped down because, you know, COVID is, is no longer a, a big issue, all right? Of course, the whole crux of the matter is to ensure that SingPass as a system uh, remains resilient. And I guess the key issue is that with the recent uh, uh, attacks hitting the banks, you now have all this money with the bad guys and they're trying to cash the money out. So the only way they can cash it out is using money mules, right? Um, so money mules is essentially people who are willing to give their account away, uh, 
primarily bank account or to sell it for quick bucks. Now, Money Mule seems to be a recurring problem uh, around Asia. Now, in Malaysia as well, recently it was reported that uh, people are willing to sell their bank account, which is the account number, the ATM card and everything, for a measly 500 ringgit, which is about 115 US dollars, which is roughly about, I don't know, um, 140, 150 sing dollars, somewhere around there. So, and it's also because the education and, you know, people in in their mind state and, and wherever they are. So, for example, if I have a pachi or an uncle in a kampong that is, you know, probably not earning so much, 500 ringgit is a lot of money and something that he could use for the whole month. And the only thing he needs to do is to just walk into whichever bank uh branch given his id uh, and this i'm I'm quoting this in, in a malaysian context uh pass in his id uh, you get a account number you get the atm card and you're good to go you know and you know uh i've participated in operations uh, with law enforcement agencies where we track these money mules and we bring them to court or we bring them to justice and sad to say a lot of them really have no clue that they've become money mules and they're like you know i just got this 500 drink it you know i didn't have to do anything just go open an account boy he's so good i introduced my whole village to him and there you go a whole bunch of money mules just for 500 ringgit each right now it's i won't say interesting it's it's similar to see this also happening in singapore Right, where people sell their personal information because they think they can make some quick buck out of it, but they don't realize that the long-term repercussions are there. Okay, um, why is SingPass abuse? Well, in some instances, the SingPass credentials have also been used to register prepaid SIM cards for local phone numbers. Now, so what if someone registers a local prepaid phone number. Well, Singapore has, this, has introduced this thing where, you know, um, if you call from outside of the country, you get a plus six five, which tells you, hey, this call isn't from Singapore, it's from somewhere else, right? Um, so with a local prepaid SIM card, you don't see this, you just see the number. Uh, so if they get a local prepaid SIM, it's much more believable, than having this plus symbol that says, hey, something is wrong, you know? And if you look at uh, the statement made by the chief executive of uh, Singtel's consumer business, um, they've mentioned that they've observed a number of scam calls that appears to be from local numbers, right? Which means that uh, the fraudsters or the threat actors have been able to find a way uh, to either hack into SingPass or gain somebody's SingPass and make such registrations, right? And, you know, uh, some may be legal sellers, some may be illegal sellers. Group IB fraud protection team actually mentioned that uh, some calls without the plus six five prefix are most likely... Uh, 
by prepaid SIM card sellers who are selling from illegal online sellers. So if you go to, say, for example, Facebook, now you will also find that people are selling pre-registered Taikong TPG blah, blah, blah SIM card for $55, which means that you don't have to register for the card. You plug it in and you can start using, right? So this way, it's easier for you to, as a fraudster, to buy a lot of SIM cards that are registered and you can just launch your threat campaign. Since it's a local number, well, obviously it appears to be more credible and this goes back into, you know, securing your uh, your data, which is your SIM pass, right? In some instances, some of the Singaporeans have reported that there's been scam calls uh, that, you know, with, with a local number. So in one instance in February, a software business owner was called and he was informed that he had some pending transactions with the bank and they asked him for his uh, IC number and name. So luckily, this person was smart enough. He knew hey, something is not right. Let me call the bank. He hung up and he called the bank and confirmed that that's not true. I think we've, we've heard a number of these kind of online uh fraud calls where somebody claims say, hey uh, you've made a purchase in Changi airport for about sing dollars 1500 you know so we want to make sure that you pay the card fees and all that kind of stuff right um, and the same also happens in instances where you know nowadays you instead of getting all those you get a nice SMS that says uh, please take note uh, we are from whatever, whatever parcel. So whatever, whatever parcel has received a package for you, if you do not call us back, uh, there's a penalty, we will destroy the parcel. So obviously, if you have no clue that you don't need to collect your parcel, you're going to be panicked and you're going to call and you're going to give out more information, right? Um, interestingly, last August, two teenagers were convicted of selling their SingPass details to scammers. And what the scammers did was they used these two SingPass uh, accounts to open HSBC and Standard Chartered uh, bank account for money laundering. So these were part of the people that were arrested uh, last June for their role in the phishing scam where a lot of victims lost about 60,000 uh, Sing dollars. This is the one that we covered in one of the episodes in, in Security Lab. So, of course, Singapore makes it mandatory to say that, you know, under Computer Misuse Act, those found guilty of disclosing their SingPass information for wrongful gains can be jailed up to three years and fined up to $10,000. Quite steep. Well, it's interesting to see that Singapore's, uh, you know, taking a bold step in combating crime. And I really like the controls they put into place. They've, they've taken their national ID system into a level where it would be in par with what the banks do in financial crime. So safe to say that, you know, whether you're a bank or your national ID provider, the damage that can occur with the misuse of your system is definitely bad, if not catastrophic, uh, depending on what the person can do. So in this case, you know, the bad guys are trying to cash out the money uh, that they had siphoned through these mule accounts. So, I'm interested to see what more the Singapore government would do 
to combat these kind of issues and I'm very sure that there will be more activities done within the region. I just hope that the other countries in Asia starts looking at one of these initiatives and see what else that they could do up and beyond what they have to reduce fraud. Like for example, Malaysia has established the National Scam Centre uh, to look into scams because that's a huge problem that's that's affecting Malaysia. So we shall continue observing this space. And a special shout out to Douglas Mann, who was former CSA Singapore. And I looked at some of his articles and, and got some inspiration to actually do this podcast. So thank you, Douglas. And until we meet again, take care and bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on Security Lab. Make sure to visit our website at securitylab.asia where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify or via RSS so you'll never miss a show. 